0: My hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello everyone, and welcome to After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. I'm your host, John Steele, and we're ready to kick off another episode, which also happens to be our last official episode of the season. I say official because you just never know what little gems may pop up over the next month or two, but as far as weekly releases go, this is it for a little while. Hard to believe it's already been three months. But hey, we're not done yet. We still have this episode, and it's a pretty sweet one if I do say so myself. We're about to jump into part two of my conversation with Erica young Wrights, founder of After College Transition and author of After College, Navigating Transitions, Relationships, and Faith. Today we get to hear Erica's response to my question about developing relationships after college. You'll also get to hear her input on work, calling, and family, some fascinating topics. And stay tuned at the end to hear about how you can get your hands on a free copy of her book after college. I read this with some students preparing for transition a few years ago and absolutely loved it. Even being a decade out of college at that point, I found her insights so helpful in continuing to navigate my own post-college life. I can say with certainty that anyone listening would find her book to be a helpful resource. So be sure to listen all the way to the end to hear how you can get a copy. For now though, enjoy the rest of my chat with Erica. So Erica, not just the idea of finding a church that you can thrive in and that you can connect to, but also finding relationships, those personal one-on-one or larger group relationships. What are some of the things that you've learned that you've experienced as far as people living in post-college world, developing relationships, whether it's inside or outside of the church?
1: It's hard. Yes, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I think to really take a step back and keep in mind that the college experience is so unique. For those who were very connected to IVCF, you know that there was just some things that accelerated intimacy. You're going to Urbana together. You're doing fall retreats together. You're taking spring break trips. Those things connect us and accelerate intimacy in ways that are very different. Maybe there's someone that you get to know at a 20-somethings event, and then maybe you say, oh, let's let's have coffee, whether that's someone that you wanna be friends with or someone that you're interested in dating, then you meet for coffee, but then maybe you don't get together again for another two weeks. And it's just the timing that it takes to build friendships. I remember one alum said, I just wasn't prepared for the patience and intentionality it would take to make friends post-college. And it's true, we do have to go after it. And we have to be okay with awkward moments. I think one alum said, you have to push through the awkward to get to the relationship. You know, some of us tolerated these awkward 20-something Bible studies where there was someone who was three decades older in the Bible study, but he never married. So he was like, this is where I feel comfortable, but then he made other people uncomfortable. And, you know, we push through that awkwardness to get to the other side. I hope that this is hope for those on this call, that there is good life and rich friendship after college, but it does take time. It does take patience and intentionality. Sometimes for those who are introverted, it can even take longer. One of my alums said, if you're introverted, find the extroverts, find the extroverts who are willing to be that connecting person for you. And she would go to these large group events, kicking and screaming in her own soul. And then saying, I have no hope of making a meaningful connection at the event, but if I can leave with contact information or of one person, then I'll make that meaningful connection beyond the event. But that was her eating her vegetables so that she could then get to the relationships. But showing up at those awkward company potlucks, because we need the relationship and pushing ourselves out of the rhythm and even the rut of our everyday week because we could go through our entire week only seeing people at work and at home. If we live alone or if we're remoting into our workplaces, we're really gonna have to push ourselves even further to find those relationships and to not just press repeat on the Netflix episode that we're watching.
0: It makes me wonder, is there a beneficial ratio of saying yes to saying no, especially for my fellow introverts, I very much identify as an introvert, I can push the extrovert button, but I need to be able to recharge. But I wonder if there is a helpful ratio of here are the number of invitations that you get in a week or in a month, say yes to this many of them, give it a chance and see if you walk away with a potential close friendship. And if you don't, That's okay, because there's more invitations coming around the corner. Just be willing to say yes and to put yourself out there.
1: It's 8.5. If anyone's wondering, I've done the math, so you can thank me for that. John, I really don't have a a great answer for that. But I think what you're getting at is all of these things take emotional energy. It takes something from us. I'm in a life stage now where I have two young kids. If I'm going to go out, it costs something every time I leave or I'm not part of the bedtime routine. It has to be good. I need to know I'm going to have a good time. I can't waste my one time out this month on something that's not good. But we don't always get to know that. But I think you are hitting something with, it does require wisdom to not just say yes to everything and not to just say no to everything. And we have to know ourselves. Sometimes we're saying yes, because we're afraid to be alone with our own selves. And that's something extroverts need to be mindful of. Am I okay to be alone with myself? Sometimes that's the healthiest thing we can do. Because it allows those inner feelings to rise up and we can deal with them one by one and grieve and process instead of just running around and ignoring those things. And if we're introverted, we may need to push ourselves into community. I know when we first got into stay-at-home orders, my husband, who's an introvert, was like, this is amazing. I don't have to talk to anyone I don't want to. But that lasted like all of two weeks. And I think even more so realizing in a time of COVID, how much we need community. We're part of a life group and we switched it up over the winter months just to be safe with COVID. We were only meeting like one family with another family at a time. And last week was the first time we're all back together, kids running around. And it was just this beautiful moment. And we both in the car ride home, were like, I don't think we realized how much we needed that because we're wired for community.
0: You mentioned your awkward small group, and I think it's helpful to just put it out there that if you are coming into a new community, just expect that your small group experience is going to be awkward. It's just going to happen. It's not until you are a year down the road looking back that you say like, oh, wow, actually I have grown really close to these people. We're just a strange combination of people. It's no longer awkward when I really think about it, but we're just kind of weird together. But that's what makes it fun. If everybody would just give their small group like, 3 months. Go consistently for 3 months and then look back and see what has changed about those relationships. And it is just amazing how if we're willing to give the yes and to give the time that those relationships will develop if we're as you said intentional about giving that space.
1: Often we're looking for people who are like us. And all of that should get thrown out the window in certain ways. I remember talking to a recent alum who was like it was more important to find people who were loyal than people who were like me. That steady, consistent presence. I think about some of the friends that I've made, even recently, where proximity has been everything. Even before COVID, I think about one of the people in my neighborhood who I got to become friends with. And at first glance, we had a lot that was not in common. And then this person just became such a steady, consistent presence in my life. She's my no hype friend. I'm drama and emotional and she's so steady and level. She's such a good friend to me, but it was her living three doors from me that made all the difference. Again, I keep coming back to place and proximity, but. It really matters. If you're in a transition right now, really thinking about if I'm going to buy this house, is it in a neighborhood that I can thrive? If I'm going to sign this lease, is it an apartment complex where people actually want to be neighbors? And if someone's listening, John, it's kind of been on my heart. If someone's listening and feels like I don't even have eight invites to choose from, 20 invites, I don't even have two. I do want to encourage those folks that one, we're in a really unique time. Two, they're not alone. And three, they can send the invite. You can be that one to reach out. And I think sometimes because we've come out of college experience where we're maybe used to being invited, we have to get over that hurdle of, oh, I can be the inviter. I can be the one to put myself out there, even if I might get rejected.
0: That reminds me of something that my mom used to say, something in the realm of friendly people have friends. This idea of, hey, if you want to be around other people, then put yourself out there. Be the one that's inviting In this realm of proximity, we can continue talking about relationships to some extent, but work is another place that has come up. But even just the question of what does it look like for somebody to be fulfilled in the work that they do? Is that even a realistic expectation? What does it look like to thrive in a working environment?
1: Those are great questions, John. I want to encourage folks, if you're in a job right now where you're wondering, is this this meaningless labor? Is this futility? There are times this side of heaven where we're going to feel the thorns and the thistles of unredeemed work. I do want to encourage that God doesn't waste any stretch. And I think we can find meaning in any task under the sun. There are times where we do jobs that are less than quote unquote fulfilling. Because we need to pay the bills or we need to make sure we don't default on our loan payments. There's reasons why we take certain jobs. And I think for those who come out of InterVarsity, they probably received a good theology of work. And yet probably when the rubber met the road, it was like, wait, is this vision really working on the ground? I think of one of my former students, Faye. I would definitely say she graduated with that vision of I'm gonna join God in the restoration of all creation. She was an engineer with a lighting design focus. And she has all these ideas of like just designing cool spaces is gonna glorify God. And it's true, making a space more beautiful with the work of her hands is part of worshiping God at her workplace. Doing that good work is part of faithfulness and part of worship. And so she graduated with that theology and then she gets to this workplace and it's like, this is not what I expected. It's the grind and this is difficult and this boss is difficult her words were, I feel like I'm paddling in place. She was struggling. And part of her reflection was, Erica, I forgot half of the gospel in this. You know, as we think about the gospel story unfolding in those four parts of creation, fall, redemption, consummation, she had focused a lot on the redemption and consummation part. And she had forgotten, oh, wait, it is fallen. I have to remember that I am in a broken world and it is being redeemed. And so part of it was reminding herself that the full gospel, is going to play out in her workplace. For the listeners today, just continuing to listen to these podcasts, continuing to immerse yourselves in what is true, immerse yourself in things that are going to remind you why you do what you do. Now, it's very possible that you are in a job that feels toxic right now. and Maybe the most faithful thing you can do is get out not all work is meant to be something that we do and sustain if it's a toxic job. And so this might be your nudge today that says time to get out, time to start exploring other options. But I am a firm believer that work is good. It may not be glamorous or glorious each day. And part of faithfulness is showing up each day. All of that, I think, is an act of worship.
0: I'm sitting here just trying to process through some of those ideas just because work is such a huge part of our lives. Not that I would have had this language necessarily when I first graduated, but what is a good theology of work? Some of it's vision. How do I perceive the work that I'm doing and what it could potentially do for the kingdom of God? But then also, what is my place here? And this is actually a question that I'd be interested to hear your input on, and that is, what is the balance of my own createdness, my own uniqueness, and the way that God has gifted me to do things, the balance of pursuing that well? without pursuing this cultural idea of just pursue your bliss, just do the thing that makes you happy. That's what's most important. And really wrestling with some of those things of sometimes you just have to grind it out for a season and do a job that you don't love. And that's just part of it. Your faithfulness is part of being a follower of Jesus in that place. But I would be interested to hear your input on walking that balance of very practical, doing work in and of itself is good, but also what does it look like to pursue work that really fits my giftedness the way that God has made me?
1: I think very few people have this extreme overlap between these are all the things I'm awesome at, and this is what I do every single day for paid work. And I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we throw this word out there. We have this idea of calling, and I'm grateful for my grad school professor, Don Opitz, who would definitely bristle at that word because he loves callings. And I think when we are looking for this perfect overlap, and then we reduce it to our paid working role, we've missed the multifaceted callings that we have on our lives. So I want to encourage folks today, uh, one writer critiqued the Christian community for looking for our calling as if it's a golden nugget buried deep in a river, this one thing. Toss out that theology because we're going to do many things and we have many callings. There's things that I love to do that I'm never going to do at my Penn State job teaching writing. There's other things that I love to do that I'm never going to do in my after college transition role. I love being a mom. Those things I don't do at either one of those jobs. Anytime we get reductionistic about the word, we're missing the multifaceted vision that God wants us to have for our vocation. But then what do you do with the continued importance of self-discovery and knowing our gifts? I think that's all very valid. As long as we're grounded in an understanding that faithfulness takes on many different roles and relationships and i think we have to ask ourselves what is faithfulness in this season is faithfulness i just need to pay off my student loan debt right now and so i'm going to don a green apron and work at starbucks for a season because that's what's going to allow me to be faithful to making my loan payments as i figure out what i want to do with my life i have a friend who her son is thinking maybe i'm not going to go to college Maybe I'm going to start in a technical job so that I can pursue some of my creative endeavors on the side but then save for college or maybe an online degree, and I'm not going to be strapped with $200,000 worth of debt. But it doesn't mean he wants to deny his creative side, but maybe he's going to work that out in a different way for a time. And so asking about callings and having a conversation about faithfulness in all our different roles and relationships.
0: Even in the way that I phrase the question and the way that I think about these things, it makes me wonder if our identity is so tied into being affirmed by the work that we do, as opposed to having this holistic biopsychosocial perspective on who we are as human beings, not just worker bees. And if we looked at our identity from a more holistic perspective, would we find more of those pieces across the things that are going on at any particular moment of our life and say like, oh, I actually do find fulfillment. I find maybe I don't find it here in this part, but that itch is getting scratched over here in this other part of my life. And I can be more faithful because I have a more holistic perspective of my identity and the way that that ties into the things that I do.
1: So good, John. I think about the question you asked me when we got started of who are you? And it's a loaded question because too often we confuse role and identity. The role I play is who I am. And if we feel like we're doing well in whatever role we have in our mind, then we maybe give ourselves a nine out of 10. But if we start not doing well in that role, whether it's my role as a wife or a mom or a worker or a neighbor, then I'm starting to give myself, oh, now now I'm a six. Now I'm a five. I am a 10 out of 10 in Jesus every morning. Everyone on this call is a 10 out of 10 in Christ. And yet when we confuse those roles with identity, we can get into a downward spiral. And I think you're pointing out excellent stuff. We're there for many hours of the day. And so I think to continue to wrestle with that question of who am I apart from the worker role that I play. Uh, We need to contend with that question and know our answers before we get into the workplace.
0: Erica, I feel like we could continue talking about this particular topic for a really long time. I'm really enjoying this particular spot right here, but I would like to shift our conversation a little bit. We've talked about some of the things that have come up for our alumni and the conversations that we've been having, but thinking about the research that you've done, the work that you're doing currently, the topics that come up in your book, I would be interested to know, are there particular ideas that people are identifying consistently that maybe haven't come up in conversation between you and I yet, or between me and other alumni.
1: There was a chapter of the book that actually in the publishing process, my editor, who I love, he said, this chapter could come out. And I sort of went toe to toe saying, I don't know if we want this chapter to come out. It was a topic that we didn't address early on in Senior Exit, but then quickly realized this is shaping so many of our young people. We need to address it. And it's the topic of family. Pew Research just did a study not that long ago saying, since the end of the Great Depression, this hasn't happened. And it's more people living with their parents than ever before. And that doesn't even include students who were thrust home because of stay-at-home orders last March. This is just the amount of young people who have graduated, but they're living under their parents' roof. And I think even more so in this moment, we need to be having conversations about what does this mean if you're going to live with your family after college and how your relationship might be shifting? How about the transition that your parents are going through, too, as their young people continue to launch their lives?
0: What kind of things are you finding? What things did you talk about that are helping people navigate these new family relationships well?
1: We've watched this all over the news of how COVID has sort of magnified things that were already there. I mean, it's so sad about the divorces that have happened in China and here since COVID. Penn State just did some studies on the rise of depression, even among young people in the family unit. And so I think COVID has only brought stuff to the surface. If there were troubles there, I think it only magnified these things. I also think it's been super positive for certain people. I hear from students who had to live with their families for a time and they're mending relationships. I think about the student who they built a patio together last summer, he and his parents, and how physically working on that project also became a metaphor for rebuilding things in their relationships. And so I think this is on the fore for many people. I think some of the questions that I've been talking about is just like, what vision do you want for your relationship with your parents? I mean, I have students who they've never thought there was anything to mend. I just have great relationship with my family. And then even as they take a step back, it's realizing, okay, I was still raised by imperfect people. There are things maybe that I need to forgive. There was a Jewish psychologist that said, forgive your parents, heal yourself. I think about my own stories. I had a workaholic mom and I just needed to heal from some of the things of my past. And I wrote about some of that in the book. And now I have a really strong relationship with my mom. And I hold out hope for anyone on this call who feels like I do not have the relationship I want with my family. I think there's no relationship that is beyond God's grace and repair. And so I think these are the years to deal with that stuff. But on a very pragmatic level, John, I think it's also making a game plan. If students are moving back home, how long do you want to be home? I recognize there's probably very different cultures represented on this call. And so maybe being with your family, that is a very positive thing and something that is a cultural expectation and you're working that out in your own way. Others may feel like moving out of my growing up home is a positive thing for my adult development. And so they're working that out in their own way. But I think just recognizing what you want in your family relationships and then how can you move towards those goals?
0: Being somebody that has not lived at home for the last... 12 years almost, is finding the place that I can start to identify with my parents, even before being a parent, but just because they were other adults that I knew and had observed, and then starting to interact with some of the same experiences that I saw them, that really felt like a brand new place to connect with my parents at a deep level. I will always think of my parents as my parents. They will always be people whose input I really value and whose authority I still very much respect, but this was almost like stepping into a peer relationship with them. And some of that's probably because throughout my life, I've had a very healthy relationship with my family. And I recognize that that's not the case for a lot of people, but in my situation, and I think in many other circumstances, that's been a really fun place to step into just in the last couple of months, we bought our first house, which is really exciting. It's been fun. It's been terrifying. But even that has created brand new ground for me to call my dad more times than I have in recent past and say, what would you do in this situation? Talk me through fixing this thing. So very generally, just thinking, where are those places that you can start to identify with your parents as co-adults and to walk through life experiences together in that way?
1: Congratulations on the house to you and your wife by the way. And I completely agree John. That movement from dependent to healthy interdependence, mutually respected grown adults. I think it's a really positive thing to shoot for and your parents will love it when you reach out and talk about something that they taught you that's meaningful now in the quote unquote real world. You know, if they gave you good budgeting tips. And now that's working for you. Or yeah, asking advice on bigger things like the house. And maybe you're asking less advice on the smaller things. And I think it's more taking a step back and saying, you know, why am I contacting them right now? Or why am I not contacting them? Like my husband who went away to college and didn't call his parents for an entire month. But your parents will love to hear about things that they taught you that are helping you out right now.
0: Yeah, my interpretation of their experience is that it's been something that's been enjoyable. Okay, so Erica, I just have a couple more questions for you here. Again, one of the traditions that we have for our guests is asking, you've given lots of really helpful information here, but just the human being, Erica, what advice would you give to somebody that is about to graduate?
1: So one of my favorite things to share is just, it's going to be okay. And I don't mean that as a Christian platitude. I get that from... David Arms, an artist, and his friend, Lloyd Shadrach coined that term. I think right at the economic downturn of 2008, they were watching the world fall apart and said, you know what, the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation that we know the end of the story. We know that ultimately it is gonna be okay, that Christ is returning and restoring all things to himself. So even though this prognosis doesn't look good or even though I failed this test or the report came back with cancer, We still know the end of the story and ultimately it's going to be okay. And there were years right out of college that were hard for me. And I remember playing a song called, It's Going to Be All Right, Sarah Groves. And I remember just playing that song on repeat in my car because I just needed to know that there was a different reality. I knew that I was struggling, but I needed to know a different reality. It's going to be all right. And so I want to leave anybody who's struggling with those words, not as a platitude, not as it's all good, but no, ultimately God will make things right.
0: What a great encouragement and widely applicable to whatever circumstance you find yourself in. If you can give yourself the space to pause and just say, the Lord really does have this in hand it's going to be okay. What a simple thought to be able to hold on to and carry with us through our day. Erica, I'm so grateful for you being here on the podcast with us after four is a better place because of you being here. I would like to know for people who are listening, how can they access the work that you're doing if they know somebody or if they themselves would really benefit from more time spent in these kinds of materials? How can they access this stuff?
1: Thanks, John. It's been a blast hanging out with you and all of your listeners today. So thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And I would love to be in touch with anyone who cares about helping people thrive in their transition. So you can find me at aftercollegetransition.com. That's aftercollegetransition.com. And if you want to continue to get the After College book into the hands of maybe it's you or someone you know who feels lost in transition. There is help and hope. So order that where books are sold. The audiobook just came out. So that's also another great opportunity.
0: And we're actually giving away a few copies of After College through the podcast here. So keep listening to find out how you can get access to a free copy. Once again, Erica, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate the investment of your time, your wisdom, your life experience that you've brought to us. Thank you. Okay, there's a lot to consider coming away from these last two episodes with Erica. For me, my biggest takeaway is being conscious of the ways I can tie my worth and whole life satisfaction to my work. No matter what kind of work you do, that's just way too much pressure to put on a job or any single aspect of life. I want to continue growing in what it looks like to incorporate all parts of my life into the equation of using my giftedness, continuing to be challenged, and feeling a sense of satisfaction and well-being. Thanks so much, Erica, for joining us on After 4. It was so helpful and a lot of fun to hear from you. And speaking of hearing from you, we want to hear from you. What part of Erica's experience with the post-college transition did you find most helpful? Drop us a message through the Facebook page or leave a comment on the post for this episode. And speaking of Facebook, I'm just a segue machine today, you should visit our Facebook page so that you can be entered to win a copy of Erica's book after college. Maybe you're a recent grad who could use a little extra guidance on next steps after college. Maybe you know someone who's about to graduate and want to give it as a gift. Whatever the case may be, jump over to our Facebook page and follow these simple steps. 1. Like and follow the After 4 page. 2. Comment what platform you use to listen to After 4 every week. 3. Finish this sentence. Life after college is That's it. Really simple. Make sure you enter for a chance to win a free copy of After College by Erica Young Wrights, and thanks to the University Alumni Department for sponsoring this giveaway. Well here we are, the final moments of the season. You know it would be a bummer to kill your streak of listening to these episodes after they drop by not knowing when a new one is released. And there are two simple fixes for that. First Take over as host of After Four and release episodes whenever you want. Two, which is my preference, just follow or subscribe to the podcast and turn on notifications for new episodes. And listen, we all have those friends who can listen to instructions a hundred times and never remember to follow through. So be a pal to your forgetful friends and also forward the podcast onto them. It's what they would want. All right, that's it for now. Keep your ears open for some bonus material this summer and future seasons. Until then, See you next time alumni.